I'm Alex Craner. This is Sarah Swain. This is Terry Clark. This is Tom Korski. I'm Trish Wood. This is Dr. Peter McCullough. Welcome to the Sean Newman Podcast. Welcome to the podcast, folks. Happy Wednesday, hump day. Hope everybody's week is uh, cruising along. We got uh, an interesting one on tap uh, for today, and they're probably all interesting. Who am I kidding? Um, but uh, Jocelyn, uh, obviously, she's been on the show multiple times, and and, uh, and very interesting lady out of Manitoba. But before we get there, let's get to today's show sponsors. Episode 337 uh, featured the two owners of Guardian Plumbing and Heating. That's Blaine and Joy Steffen. And uh, what makes them different is that our service team works on us. Uh, they need guys. Sorry, I'm, I'm hopping ahead in the script here, folks. Woo. Wednesday. Oh, must have had something in my Cheerios this morning. Anyways, they need guys. And what makes them a uh, difference is that their service team works on a seven days on, seven days off schedule, 12-hour shifts, no night shifts, no on-call. So basically they work for half the month but get paid for the whole thing. And they also offer a traditional five and two schedule for all their installers. Great benefits, awesome wages, great team. And looking for plumbers, HVAC techs, installers, and apprentices. So uh, if you're uh, interested in that, go to guardianplumbing.ca, where, of course, you can book uh, or schedule your next appointment at any time. Uh, Jim Spenrath and the team over at Three Trees Tap and Kitchen, I'm excited. Uh, they have signed on for 2023, and they got this really cool thing going on there. Um, you go in, you, if you pay for your meal, they give you this little envelope. And it has a little piece of tape on, or, you know, a little sticker on the back that says basically, and I'm, you know, I, I, I don't have one on me. I left it in the vehicle. Anyways, um, it says basically bring this back in January. And if they, if it's not opened, they'll open it up and it's a certain percentage off of one of your meals you're buying. So you can earn up to a, an entire free meal um, if, if you go in now and they, they give you this little envelope that can't be opened until this, uh, January. I thought it was very clever. Anyways, that's what they're doing over at Three Trees. Um, whereas Two's just told you yesterday, he says, man, you got to talk about their food. Yes, Three Trees food is fabulous. The nachos are unreal. And uh, I don't know what Pilsner I tried today, but it was, uh, it was quite delightful. Um, I always suggest if you're taking the missus or Mr. Out for uh, a nice evening, you call and get in a reservation because I, I know you get in there when they have some live music and that type of thing going on, and it can be pretty full, especially now in Christmas season. Uh, you never know uh, if they got Christmas parties, that type of thing going on. So give them a call, 780-874-7625. The Deer and Steer uh, Butchery, the old Norman and Kathy James family built a butcher shop on the north side of Highway 16 and Range Road 25. Uh, it's been used by local hunters uh, and cattlemen from around the area for a long time. Well, facelift, everything else. We've been talking all 2022 about it. And uh, they're looking for people as well. They're looking for butchers. Maybe you're sitting somewhere in this great country of ours, maybe somewhere in the province, maybe, you know, I, I don't know where you're sitting at. But if you're looking for a, a change of scenery, maybe an opportunity, why not give the deer and steer a call? It's 780-870-8700 and uh, see maybe there's an opportunity for uh, for you there uh, and, and uh, you know, working for a great little company who's uh, got a unique little spot. And if you're a far hunter, farmer, etc., out there looking for, uh, uh, you know, some work done on an animal or two, well, they're there for you as well. Agland. Agland started back in 1957 as a John Deere equipment dealer with a staff of six. Today, 60-plus years later, they got three locations, Lloydminster, Vermillion, St. Paul, with a staff of 130. They sell and service John Deere, Brent, Brent, Bobcat, Dangleman, and AA Trailers. And if you need more info, go to agland.ca to check out their full inventory, okay? I don't know why I pronounced inventory like that, but hey, I'm having a little bit of fun on a Wednesday. 
Yeah, you know, sometimes you sit in a room by yourself all day long, folks. I know I talk to people all the time, but sometimes I sit in a room all day by myself and, you know, you kind of get goofy. Uh, Gardner Management is uh, Lloyd Misbrace Company, specializes all, all types of rental properties to help meet your needs, whether you're looking for a small office or, you know, you got multiple employees. Wade can get you hooked up. Give him a call, 780-808-5025. Now let's get on that tail of the tape brought to you by Hancock Petroleum. For the past 80 years, they've been an industry leader in bulk fuels, lubricants, methanol, and chemicals delivering to your farm, commercial or oil field locations. For more information, visit them at hancockpetroleum.ca. She's the president of Sundance Construction. I'm talking about Jocelyn Berziak. So buckle up. Here we go. This is Jocelyn Berziak, and you are listening to the Sean Newman Podcast. Welcome to the Sean Newman Podcast. Today I'm joined by Jocelyn Berziak. So first off, man, thanks for hopping back on. You know, it's 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 fun. I, I uh, Listeners are always telling me to have reoccurring guests. They want to have people, you know, they, they find somebody interesting and they're like, you got to have them back on, you got to have them. And, and then that list continues to grow and you're like trying to, you know, wade through that, and, you know, trying to make it interesting and, and follow stories that are actually relevant and everything else. And, uh, and I don't know, you fall back in my lap, so to speak, and I'm glad to have you back on. How have you been? Well, uh, it's been up and down. Um, last time we talked, it was a great talk. And then um, a whole bunch of other things happened. So in the meantime of while we've been talking about all the, the things that, you know, the, the Indigenous issues and things like that, I've been trying to build. I've been trying to do what builders do, and that's build. Let's maybe one, for one second, Jocelyn, before you hop into that, uh, I, you know, I'm always forgetful that there's going to be people who have no idea who you are. So, you know, the podcast continues to get new uh, people tuning in, and if they haven't listened to your first episode on the show uh, or even the roundtable that we did with Western Standard, maybe just a quick, quick uh, ground on you, and then by all means, uh, l- let's hear what's going on out in your world. So uh, I'm Jocelyn Berzik. I'm the president of Sundance Construction, um, and I'm a builder. I'm, I'm an Indigenous builder here in Manitoba, and I build out of the interlake primarily, but I work all over. I'll work in the north. I do water treatment plants, sewage treatment plants, lagoons, and most recently I've been working on residential housing um, and a project that I, I've kind of had going on in the background for about four years right now. And this particular project, which is supposed to be easy, it's supposed to be a no-brainer, um, it's just been been absolutely mind-blowing. So I have a background uh, in, in building across all the realms. I've worked in like marine-based projects, water, sewer, commercial, industrial uh, construction. So I cross a, a lot of different um a lot of different industries so I, I just get a, a really big background when it comes to all of that and then I try to fit all of that experience into what I do now as a builder um, in my local area in Manitoba. Well absolutely and uh, I'm, I'm, while, I'm, while you're talking I'm like oh, man why didn't I look back I'm trying to remember when you were on the podcast the first time that was a while back. Like it feels like it wasn't long ago, but geez, then when you start looking back through episodes, you're like, oh my goodness. Uh, I think it was it, a year ago. Yeah, like it is a long time ago, Jocelyn. I didn't realize it would, time had flown by like that. Well, let's bring everybody up to speed on, on what's going on in your world. You know, you, you talk about construction, and the last time you were on, we talked about um, 
I'm going to use the word ineptitude of the the government and and how um, frustrating it was for you. And it feels like uh, you know in our emails and 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 certainly if anyone follows you on Twitter, it feels like it's boiling over at this point. And yet it's it's you know you're just like <laughs> the email you sent. I, I wrote this down of all the people you're dealing with, and. This claim involves, and I, I highlighted this, the province of Manitoba's uh, Department of Environment, so there's one, Climate Parks, two, the Minister for ECP3, the Minister for uh, Municipal Re- Relations, the Department of Municipal Relations, uh, the RM of Gimli, and the Municipal Board itself. That's seven entities? I, I think I got that right. But in, uh, yep. and all, all I could think of is twos going like, Oh my goodness, the bureaucracy is big and that and oh my. Like anyways, I read that and I'm like, "Oh my god, this is this is going to be an interesting little hour we have here as you try and break down what on earth you're trying to do and what the roadblocks have been uh for you, Jocelyn." So, yeah, so I'm dealing with all of this. So earlier on in the year, I think it's actually maybe about a month ago, a month and a half ago, Pierre Paul Ver started talking about um, how he wanted to make provincial governments and local municipalities uh, responsible to the approval process for projects, not just for housing, but for projects in general. And he, he started putting out a framework as to, you know, how how he would do that and how he would he would create some accountability and and he tied that to the approval process so depending on how municipalities and provincial governments did in terms of issuing and following through and closing out permits they would be eligible for federal monies and i started looking at this and thinking oh my god i'm a poster child for pierre polivere right now he could come in and look at my project and he would say bingo this is why we do this um, and Doug Ford, Doug Ford recently saw the very same problem in terms of the environmental conservation departments within the, the provincial governments. And again, Doug Ford could use me as a poster child here in Manitoba because I would demonstrate why we need this type of, uh, of, of check and balance in terms of, of municipal and, and provincial approvals i'm not even getting into the federal stuff i'm just talking about what happens on the ground for a local builder a local homeowner uh, a local private property owner and and the roadblocks that they face so that's where i'm at right now so a uh, long story short in 2019 as covid was hidden um, i figured this was the perfect time I was going to uh, start my my subdivision project, and I own property. It's private property. It's agricultural property. It was a former homestead. It's been a homestead, a farming homestead for like I don't know, a hundred years. And I have the 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 bulk of that former uh, homestead on the land that I wanted to turn into a single dwelling bare land condo project. So I started this 2019, really started getting in through the, going through the approvals, learning what subdivisions were all about. And I went through the process and I got the subdivision approved. So I'm an approved subdivision, 26 homes, bare land condo, uh, rural, energy efficient, the first type of condo or first type of subdivision in Manitoba that they know of, low flow. 
44, 45% less energy use. Um, I produce about 45 to 50% less actual effluent. We would operate off-grid from all municipal infrastructure. We don't touch any of it. We're private roads. We maintain all those roads ourselves. So basically, this was a no-brainer for the for the RM. The, this is the idea of a, hey, here's a developer. They're not connecting to any of our infrastructure that's falling apart. And we don't have to do any work in order to expand our existing services. They're not going to put any load on the municipality at all. Let's approve. And they did. It, it took a little bit because I had some pushback in my area. When we first went to public hearing on this, a lot of it was I was going to, um, I because I'm an Indigenous builder, I actually had people at public hearing say is that I was going to create uh, affordable housing for the poor Indigenous families and things like that. Or maybe I was going to take in Syrian refugees. And they, they just kind of threw things at me that really shocked me in terms of why you would you would push back on this. Why why would you even do this? So I dealt so, with all so of those when, naysayers. When, when, when you mean they, they talk about bringing in the poor or Syrian refugees, they didn't want those folks in their area, is what you mean? Exactly. There was one particular group that said to me is that Gimli is more diverse. Gimli is better suited to that diversity, but our rural community south of Gimli, you know, we don't have the same type of diversity, which is not true. But what they weren't talking about was the diversity in ethnicity. They were talking about diversity of economic bank account a bunch of people that were not in my backyard type people that, oh, you know, we don't want, we don't want that economic class, you know, too close to us. So I, I had to battle some just, and this is what developers go through all the time. We call them the Karens of the building world because, oh, that looks, sounds really good for an urban center. It sounds really good for this area, but we But don't keep want it away from there. me. Yeah. So I, I did all that in 2020. I battled all of all of that just garbage and just pushed it out there and said, is it, hey, this is, you don't know what we're doing. We're off-grid capable. If we emergency happens, grid goes down, we're up and running. All of our 55-plus um, homeowners who are downsizing and opening up housing uh, for families three four bedroom homes in the area um they're going to be okay we don't have to worry about them they're going to have backup heating they're going to have you know backup energy sources and so this would be a community that is totally private totally maintained on its own we do all the maintenance and the upkeep and all the services provided and literally our surrounding community doesn't need to do anything to support our community we would be completely off-grid and so i started working with the province of manitoba to try and bring this forward so we did all the engineer i got the first one built the first one's built it's beautiful it's exactly what i said it was going to be and it's up and running and but now i got to get through the process so after you get a after you get an approved subdivision, you get a letter that comes from the municipal relations. And this is the same, very similar for every single province. And during the approval pro process, the province and the RM 
get the ability to make comments on your subdivision. They say is that we approve this subdivision, but you need to give us a drainage plan. You need to give us a, um, we need to see the engineering for your office of drinking water, or you need to go through archaeology and, and heritage and make sure that there's nothing of archaeological um, historical significance on the property. So you need to do an assessment. So they give me a set of conditions that I need to do. Um, and then that that plan can be registered and then I can actually transfer titles and, and people can get mortgages and stuff like that to do a builder's mortgage. That's how the process works, but I'm approved. So during this whole process is that the RM of Gimli can actually issue me a permit to build at any point in time as per their bylaws um, because I don't connect to all this municipal infrastructure. And as long as they do a developer's agreement, which is a pretty straightforward document if you can read and if you have an iq greater than room temperature apparently that's not always the case with local government which i've learned so so i can't get this thought out of my head because uh, I, I wrote it down so i'll just i'll just throw it out there and, and i'll see what comes of it so are all these business owners homeowners etc than lobbying their local government to basically throw, just to basically ignore you, to try and get you to go away, or to or to draw out the process so long that it costs you so much money, so much time, and maybe they just like that's what they're hoping. Because when I read the document, Jocelyn, I'll, I'll be honest, what I saw was um, they went over the time limit on a lot of different things. You could probably talk to that on, you know, they're supposed to give you a response in, let's say, 60 days, and you can certainly uh, clear this up. And all of a sudden, it was 90 days, which is illegal, but that's what they're doing. Or if it's 60 days, it's on the 60th day they're giving it to you. They're drawing out the process as long as humanly possible because they want you there. Or, or am I misinterpreting this? Yeah, there, there's a certain segment of the, of the population that absolutely is adamant that that housing projects in our in our area don't move forward um i was actually told is that you have a beautiful tree piece of property with agricultural components we love looking at it i'm like but i own it i've owned this land for a long time and i want to create something beautiful in here and i want to expand my private land into something that is going to provide uh, work, income for my family, for, and my family is huge, um, and then for the, the guys that work for me, and I wanna provide a, an income and stability for those families that live in the area, and I wanna provide housing for people that live in the area. So I had that pushback, and I had a couple of key people in different areas that actually physically lobbied the previous um, council with the arm of Gimli to literally slow walk my project. So development permits. So about a year ago, two years ago, we had something come in in Manitoba called um, the Red Tape Reduction Commission, which identified how government is supposed to interact with uh, developers, homeowners, uh, people that need to interact with government departments. Now, what it says is that they need to be accountable, transparent, and provide written documentation as to why a decision isn't made or why it's a negative decision. They need to do that within 30 days or sooner. 
with the um, Planning Act that was amended in 2021. And that actually gave homeowners and private owners some teeth. And it said is that if you um, under various sections of the of the planning act you're a homeowner you're you're a private landowner and you need to get a permit for something um, and say it's a subdivision or it could be any type of development but you need to have a decision in writing within 30 days you need to have approvals for starting say a subdivision process you need that from the moment you start to the moment you end they have 150 days that's their time limit. They have 150 days to get through the initial circulation. So government departments have 30 days to respond to, to anything that's put forward. And then we have on the other side of that, the RM has 90 days to do a developer's agreement. They have got 20 days to issue a development permit. I asked for a development permit. I, so I was approved for my subdivision on May the 5th, 2022. I asked for, and I, I did the draft review of all the developers agreements, um, provided all of our initial engineering, all of those things. I did that on June 3rd. So within, within 30 days, I had everything reviewed through lawyer, through engineering, comments, everything that we sent it back. I didn't get a response back until from June the 3rd from the R. McGimley. I didn't get a response back until July 27th almost 60 days later and now we're at the end of the period i applied for building permits on july the 13th and they said we can't do this you need to finish the whole entire process and you need to do this and our bylaws say this and and i'm like okay i went and i read the planning act i went back and i read all the bylaws i got legal advice as to what the bylaws actually say and everybody was saying to me well this makes no sense even the municipal relations is saying is that permits can issued at any time. It's called a conditional use or a variance. You just apply for it, make sure you, you have enough votes through council in order to, to have it approved. And if it's already on approved subdivision, you're going to get the, the ability to build your, 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 your homes. So we had had people that we were told that we would be able to build. And then they stopped us from building. So now I got six families without a house right now. So we started lobbying. We started saying, okay, this is what the, the bylaws say. This is what the Provincial Planning Act says. So we started, we went to our the Municipal Board of Manitoba. And for the first three phone calls that we made, um, they would give us no information. They said, there's nothing we can do. Um, you have no legs to stand on, everything else. But then I talked to my MLA and I got some more information because he was actually the minister for municipal relations prior when these planning amendments came through and got royal assent. And he said, hey, actually, that's not the case. You can, you, you can ask for this. And so I called back to the municipal board and I actually had to cite the legislation and the section under which I would file an appeal under the municipal board. And they said, oh, oh, Jocelyn, you, you know the Planning Act. And oh, okay, yes, yes, dear. Yes, we can file an appeal, dear. 90 days after the first time contacting the municipal board. And I said to them, I said, why didn't you give me this information in August, September, October? And they said, well, dear, you didn't know the legislation. You didn't know what section you were going to file under. 
I was like, what is the municipal board for? They said, well, it's not our job to educate the homeowner or the uh, developer. That's up to the municipality and that's up to the department to educate them on what these new Bill 37 amendments mean. I'm like, are you kidding me? Are you serious? So that was just the municipal portion of the crap that I was faced with. At the same time, I'm dealing with um, our version of conservation in Manitoba, which is called Environment, Climate and Parks. And I got to put a drainage plan through them. I have to put um, office of drinking water through them eventually. I have to go through them to get a, a, a drainage and water license and to do any ditching and, and all these things that we need to do. And at the same time I'm doing all of this, Manitoba flooded. We had that huge flood this spring. Um, we were approved under disaster financial assistance uh, for some assistance and we were allowed to mitigate a whole bunch of the flooding on site, so we did. So what I did was using the engineering that we had on the ground and LIDAR and help from um, the Department for, of Highways for the province of Manitoba were excellent as a provincial department. I have to say they got their stuff together. I'm happy, <laughs> um, but Environment, Climate and Parks is a dog's breakfast. They literally do not have the people qualified to be able to review these drainage plans, provide these licenses, and they're not doing their homework. Or if they're told to slow walk something, they slow walk. Or if they don't like something, they can stop your, your building cold. And they, they did that to me. So here I am flooding. I need to mitigate the flooding. I'm told by EMO, pump, Jocelyn, do what you need to do, um, mitigate the flooding on your land, but don't, don't do anything that's going to um, create problems for other people. So I didn't. So what I did was I had this old cattle dugout in the center of my property. So I just directed all the water to the cattle dugout, expanded it, kind of did what I needed to do. And then we did a timed release out to the ditch, which is exactly what anybody else would do. And Climate and Parks came back and said to me, your dugout there, that's now a wetland. I'm like what? And so started this 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 crazy eleventh hour after my my subdivisions all being approved. Climate Parks comes back and says to me that um, you've got a class three wetland and you need to give us thirty thousand dollars before we're going to approve your drainage plan to allow you to continue building on your approved subdivision. And we're going to withhold any licensing that we give for your subdivision. So we're going to prevent you from registering the plan with land titles. And we're going to prevent you from getting any funding for your, um, your subdivision. We're going to do all of that. We're going to block it all. They put it in writing. They were going to block it all until I paid them $30,000 for a wetland that doesn't exist. So then I started this big journey into Ducks Unlimited, uh, Manitoba Habitat and Heritage, learning about wetlands. I brought on experts that are wetland uh, experts in other provinces that work in our province with Ducks Unlimited and other other outside uh, organizations and started learning about wetlands, hired some really phenomenal people. And they came back and they said to me, is that Dawson, your property's a farm, right? It's agricultural. It's AL. It's been altered through human activity. 
and you have soil samples, right? And I said, yeah. He said, it's not a wetland. A wetland is a very specific type of land. It's a very specific type of soil. And so we started going through this process and I provided the evidence. We had an, an archeologist come out, prove that we're a farm. We had the historical documents showing we're a farm. We have aerial photographs showing the barns and everything else. We have on the ground stuff where all my cultivators and everything else are still on the property. You can go and walk through and see all the old horse barn and everything else. And the environment climate parks and says, we don't care. It's our decision. We can hold up your subdivision as long as we choose to. And they did that. And they, they're actually, believe it or not, they're still doing it. Um, so normally when you are interacting with the department, so say for my drainage plan, they had 30 days to get the drainage plan, review the drainage plan, make the comments, get the comments back to me, and, and turn it around. But it took them just to get me, and I'm talking rudimentary engineering comments, 90 days. 90 days from the date that I submitted to give me basic rudimentary comments. And I said to them, I said, okay, I said, you have engineering comments. And it looked to me like it was cut and paste. I can tell that. And I said, let me talk to the engineer that reviewed. He can talk to our engineers and then we can walk through how we did our drainage plan, the road design, all this other stuff. And we can answer any questions that he has directly. And, and we could probably resolve it in about 30 days or 30 minutes. So then they said, no, we're not going to give you access to our engineering. Okay. That really sounds bizarre, doesn't it? So then we started asking. So then I went to my MLA and I said, hey, my MLA is Derek Johnson. I said, this doesn't sound right. We're farmland. We don't have wetlands. We are still currently zoned AL. We have evidence, archaeological evidence that we're a farm. What is going on here? Why all of a sudden do I have these wetlands over a cattle dugout? And so I started going through this process. And I go to my MLA and then I go back to the senior resource office and I asked to speak to the section, the, the, the director for drainage in the province. And that guy's name is um, David Hayes. Non-responsive. Okay. Like non-responsive. I mean, when- Who some have you pissed off, Jocelyn? This this story is, I don't know, insane. I hate to bring up what we've been living through the last two years, but it's like, uh, no, but here's the, here's the stats. Uh, um, but, but here's more stats. No, 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 we don't care. But here, but here's some more. No, 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 yeah. we don't care. We're, we we died. Like this is this is insanity, is it not? It is. I mean, so. I do what's normal. You escalate. You ask to speak to the engineer. Okay. No, you, you, they, they, they pissed off the wrong woman is what they've done. They, they did not realize who they were getting in a, in a brawl with. And if yep. there's one thing the listener and the follower on Twitter knows is Jocelyn isn't one to just, oh, no, I'll just move on with life and carry on. No, you pull out the handbook, you read the damn thing, and then you go, okay, well, where do you find this? And then you bring in everybody else. You brought in a bloody archaeologist. Like, what? Yeah. So I did, I went to the, I, I did everything by the book. I bring in all these people to, to verify, I bring in wetland experts. I bring in, I bring in the people that actually do this for a living. And, and they all tell me the same thing. They said, Jocelyn, we've done the soils testing. We've done the soils analysis. Your farm, you have loam, you have <laughs> peaty soil, you have no wetland. And 
they won't re they won't accept it so i go to the section head he's non-responsive then i go and i initiate to my mla and i said hey he's non-responsive i need your help and he tries to initiate a ministerial inquiry now a ministerial inquiry is really really um it's it's really important they actually have to they are bound to respond within a timeline they have to respond back to you so i initiated a ministerial inquiry with climate and parks that minister jeff wharton today to this very day is non-responsive not even an acknowledgement of the ministerial inquiry not even a call back from the minister's office directly not from the deputy minister nothing i initiated a ministerial inquiry with the um, municipal relations eileen clark after about 90 days i got a response back which was basically hey continue to work with climate and parks talk to you later that's a non-response that that's like hey you know what we're not going to do anything to help you so then so i go to two ministers my mla my mp which is james bazan and i said hey james everything that pierre paul was talking about on a federal level i'm actually experiencing as one of your constituents i'm experiencing this so he goes and he says hey i have a constituent that is going through this can you do something and he speaks to his conservative colleagues here in manitoba and they're like so so then we start looking at this and i'm not the only developer and i'm not the only contractor that it, it, the, that has seen this same type of pushback but i'm probably the only one that's seen it to this level so i've gone through two ministers so then i went to Ombudsman. Ombudsman at this time right now is still non-responsive. They've acknowledged they've received my complaint, but they have lots on their table and they'll get and, to and me. Who is, and who is that? Who is that? You've the Ombudsman. So that's the guy you go to when government departments don't behave the way they're supposed to. So the Ombudsman is, is the top <laughs> level. That's the guy you go to when there's no transparency. You, you know what's funny about that? They're really busy? No shit. I bet you they are. All government doesn't seem to be working uh, working the proper way, does it? It is falling apart. So municipal relations is non-responsive. Climate and parks is non-responsive. And then when they do respond to something like the, um, this, the water resource officer that I'm trying to deal with, she sends me responses that are cut and paste and one of the engineers that i was working with we we read the re the, la the latest response about the type of soils that i apparently have and don't have and she actually said based on provincial soil uh, mapping for the general area which is very coarse um, and it's just kind of a guideline and based on our aerial assessment we believe you have these types of soils present on your land. Therefore, um, and she called it a Fiella series, which is basically means it's land that has been disturbed by agriculture, which is not a wetland um, type of soil. And she said, based on this being present, we think you have a class three wetland. And I said, hey, we submitted to you detailed reports showing all of our soils analysis, our on-site testing. We gave you samples. We gave you photographs. We gave you actual soil composition and particle analysis for the for the areas in question, and we did it across the whole property. 
and that's not good enough. And, and that type of engineering is not good enough. And I said to them, I said, I'm not going to accept this. I'm not accepting this. You're not getting any more money from Jocelyn. I'm not giving you a check because you haven't given me terms of reference. So I asked the question. I said, okay, if I have a class through wetland, I give you the money and I do this, uh, I expand my, my naturalized retention area to create a, a type of wetland, a naturalized wetland like they do in Alberta, who actually does it right, by the way. Um, then we, what are my terms of reference? Who determines whether or not I've built it correctly? What are the engineering standards that I'm building to? Who's, what's the time frame for all of this? And I, I said, so, so who's going to determine that I've done this correctly? And I said, because are you guys engineers? And I said, I'd like to know who I'm dealing with on the engineering side, what their qualifications are, what assessments they're using, what soils they used, when they took those surveys, when they did those assessments, as is my right under the legislation. And they can't provide me with anything. Well, then I go back and I start doing some digging about what is this, what is this resource officer actually sending me? Well, she cut and paste from a soils classification done in 2010 that's posted publicly to the province of Manitoba's uh, soil mapping. And the closest, the closest soil sampling that she has to me and where she's listing these type of soils are in Arburg, Manitoba. And I am south of Gimli, which is like, I don't know, um, 50 kilometers away. We're not even the same, the same area of soils. So and they're basing this on, on this. And I said to them, I said, come to site. You know what, guys, put down the paper, put down the pencil, get off your phone, come to site, come, come meet me. I said that to the MLA, to the MP, to the minister, both ministers, to the senior resource water, um, the senior water resource officer, to the engineers and said, come to site, come take a look. And they're like, no, 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 can't come to site, can't come to site because you'll prove us wrong. So this is where I'm at. So what I'm literally having is I have an approved subdivision where, where properties and houses need to be built and they're blocking the housing from being built until I satisfy some type of imaginary um, need or they're just using it as a form of retaliation against my prior whistleblowing activities to do this. So. Pierre Polver and Doug Ford, they said is that we cannot let these, these conservation departments, we can't let them have final say over housing subdivisions, especially if it's marginal lands. So if it's agricultural lands, if it's marginal class one, class two um, type of, um, of wetland area that, that flood, you know, maybe in the spring and then they dry out in the later on the fall. We cannot let conservation departments, environmental departments, block housing subdivisions which are approved from moving forward. We need to take away the control from them to be able to do that. They need to do their due diligence. They need to do their licensing. They need to see the engineering, but we cannot allow them to block anymore. But in Manitoba, that's not what's happening. So I go to the ombudsman. Then I said, okay, this is, this is the problem. So I'm actually a PC, a paid PC party member. So I figured, okay, there's 
accountability issues, transparency issues going on. So I go to the PC party headquarters in Manitoba, 23 Kennedy. And I, I called them up and I spoke to Katie Redmond and I said, hey, this is, something's not right here. What is going on here? And I said, as a party member, I have rights to seeing some type of accountable actions on part of, you know, people, it's the PC party uh, that is in government right now. Is something going on there? Is there something not right? So then they're basically non-responsive. They listen, but they never call me back. Then I get a hold of the Manitoba PC party caucus. I talk to them. They never call me back. I asked to meet with the chief of staff for Heather Stephenson, our premier, and they blow me off. They're not talking to me. So now I have gone municipal, municipal board, ombudsman, MLA, member of parliament, minister for climate and parks, minister for municipal relations, and up to the premier's office. How the hell am I supposed to get anything built when all of these departments are non-responsive. So as a Manitoban, I have a right to be heard. And if I have done the engineering correct as per the requirement for my subdivision, and my engineering has actually all been approved. The watershed manager for the southern end of the province looked at my drainage plan finally, and he said, hey, asked my engineers a few questions. 48 hours, they sent back um, the, the kind of the, the modifications that he wanted to see and he reviewed it and it he said I got no issues he goes Jocelyn you've exceeded the standard required I have no problems with your drainage plan I have no problems with your road design I have no problems with with how you you want to move forward in terms of, of the rest of the 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 building um now people think I'm building these massive ugly, disgusting buildings. I'm actually creating a 26 separate residences for 55 plus in general, but it can be any age, but they're only two bedrooms set within a wildlife managed area because I am continuing to keep all of that woodland there. I created 2000 lineal feet of bioswale which will prevent the property from ever flooding again, creating basically a creek that will bring wildlife in, a retention pond that would act as a dual source uh, watering and kind of like a drawing more, more uh, wildlife for the area, dealing with my sewer on site, dealing with my water on site, and doing this all in a way that is low impact, low energy, and contributes absolutely zero outside chemical or pollution to the outside community and to the outside world. This is the subdivision. This is a project that every province says that they want. I'm it. I do the engineering. I fund it all myself. It's all out of pocket. I have spent literally hundreds of thousands of dollars just to get to this point. And now they're saying is that we're just going to keep blocking you. So my question is, why? It's clearly not the engineering. It's not the engineering. It's it's not the plan. It's it's not the housing I'm going to provide. It's not the benefit to the environment that I'm going to provide. What is the problem? I'm not building ugly side-by-side -side buildings 
these lots are, you know, 120 by 200 or bigger. These are big, nicely laid out homes that will provide for our aging population. And nobody can give me an answer. And I'm, I know my stuff. So what the heck is going on here? Hmm, that is a large question. You know, the, the first thing I think, I think two things. One is you either pissed off somebody really high up there, uh, whether it's in the area, whether it's in government, I don't know. Because, listen, I, I think at this point, you know, uh, the list is going, I wouldn't want to get in a tussle when it comes to, you know, what you're talking about with Jocelyn. I, I don't. I, I, I want you on my side, Jocelyn. That's what I would want. The other thing I think is like you're pissed off a system that doesn't want to be exposed. They want yep. you to pay the $30,000 and carry on. And then you ask all the questions and they don't have answers to it, obviously. And instead of just being like, ooh, those are good questions. Hmm, I hadn't thought of that. Or we can't, whatever. It doesn't matter. You're exposing part of the system. So it's either a person or it's people protecting the system, right? I think. Like I think that's what both. it seems. Maybe it's both. The reason why I say it's both. Um, in 2019, um, August of 2019, I filed a lawsuit against the province of Manitoba at the beginning of 2019. And this lawsuit stemmed mm -hmm. from uh, projects that had happened in 2015-2016. And one of the, the key parts of that lawsuit was whistleblower retaliation because the province of Manitoba uh, had actually physically retaliated against my firm for speaking out about what was going on in a couple of northern communities under provincial guidelines that had drinking water issues and these departments that I'm dealing with today were doing things that they shouldn't have been doing and when I caught them in it and I questioned on, on them on it. I had the hammer brought down on me. And they did everything they could to physically bankrupt my firm. And they told me this actually in a meeting that they would make sure is that I would never be able to work in the north again. And I would never be able to do the type of work um, that I was doing. And I said to them, go ahead and try. Try me. Push me. See how far you get. And they, they tried to break me and I just, I retooled, I fought, I prevented them from forcing my company into bankruptcy and I have been on their ass every single day since then. I will not allow any province, I don't care which government is in, is in power, I will not allow corruption and a lack of accountability and whistleblower retaliation, I won't allow that to happen. Not on my watch. If you're going to do that to me or you're going to do that to somebody I know, you're going to face me. And as I recently told some fellow lawyers <laughs> that were looking at this, is that I am not, I am not the witness that opposing counsel ever wants to see on a stand. I can withstand days of cross-examination. I have a photographic memory. And I know 
my source material. I can cite this shit backwards and forwards. So our province for the last five years has decided is that they wanted to pick a fight with Jocelyn and they wanted to hurt innocent, innocent families, six families at the moment, by preventing them from having their homes built. That pissed me off. That's pissed me off. And now I'm on a mission. I am on a mission because if I can put concrete evidence together that the province of Manitoba has engaged in whistleblower retaliation, and that's what this, this pattern, because this is a pattern now, one or two times, coincidence, three times, four times, now we have a pattern, now we have a trend. And that's what I think is going on here. I think we have um, a combination of I've pissed off people that are in the right places or the wrong places for me, apparently. And this is this is kind of a part of that. Now, interesting to note, in 2015, 2016, as I'm trying to bring the issues to, to all of this stuff to come out, in 2019, February 5th, 2019, actually, I reached out to my current MLA at the time, Jeff Wharton and said, I need your help. I need to be able to bring all of these actions. I need them to come out. I need our government to be accountable. I need you as my MLA to do some advocacy for me as your, I am, uh, because I'm your constituent. And he ignored me, no, refused meetings with me, everything else. So what I did was I protested outside of his office in Gimli. And he actually brought uh, in armed cars from the legislature because he felt that I was a threat. And here I am standing on the streets of Gimli as this woman saying, we need clean drinking water in our communities. We cannot continue to shuffle this stuff under the table and we can't break the backs of the people that are talking about it and trying to expose it. So he refused, he refused to, to, um, and refused to have any accountability. So you know what I did in 2019? Because he refused to do his job as my MLA, I said, I'm going to run as an independent against you. And I did. I ran against him as an independent and I door knocked. And I went and I talked to people and I explained to them why I was running. And I said, it has nothing to do with politics. I'm actually a conservative. It has nothing to do with politics, but it has to do with accountability and transparency. And now, lo and behold, he was a former minister of, of um, municipal relations. Now he's the minister for climate and parks. I bring oh. a claim against the province for whistleblower retaliation and what they did in the north uh, with two water treatment plants. And they are pissed. And who was the AG when I filed? Heather Stephenson, our current premier. So, so you've pissed off the right people <laughs> or the wrong people who have all the power in Manitoba, essentially, and what you're trying to deal with. I think so. I, I think that I have, I have, I have pissed in everybody's cornflakes. I have made their day go completely sideways. And, um, are they going to win? No. They're not going to win. They're not going to win. Um, because I, know, uh, I mean, obviously, you know, you're another, uh, I, I chuckle about this podcast, Jocelyn, and, and I'm sure you do at times as well. 
how many people I've stumbled into through Twitter and, and the people of Twitter kind of feeding me different ideas. And, and certainly that's how you come across uh, uh, my, you know, my view. And I think there's a lot of people rooting for you because, I mean, I listen to what you're going through and I'm like, this has to be the most frustrating thing in the world when you're trying to do everything by the book. And yet they're basically saying we hold the power and we'll decide and we're not going to, no matter what you do. And <laughs> I'm like, all I can think of is in my head. What is wrong with politics? Not politicians, politics, like, which obviously is politicians. I get it. But like, that is the murkiest fucking world in any industry. Or maybe this goes on in a whole bunch of industries, folks. And I just don't know it. But like when I, I keep hearing, you know you like know, I go back three years, four years, Jocelyn, before I ever started talking these stories. I I don't know what world I lived in. It was this world of like the sun is shining and we're all and now oh my god. Like it's time to take the trash out. Let's figure some shit out and let people go back to work and get get some things going the right way and stop like attacking our own citizens. And it just keeps happening in a bunch of different um, areas, but all in the same ways. Like, really strange where everyone's going, it makes zero sense anymore. I don't know how many times I have to hear people say it makes zero sense anymore. And we're all just kind of like marching along going, well, it'll eventually get better. No, it doesn't eventually get better. It takes people like yourself and others to stand up to it, to probably sue the pants off of them at some point. And, and so they realize we can't do this because this sounds insane. I, I'm already doing it. So I've already filed for two. Um, you know, the, the Planning Act gave us some, some teeth. It gave us some legs to stand on. So I'm, I'm pursuing that. The but, how, but but if if you don't mind for a second, how long is it gonna take for that to get? You know, if 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 there's anything about the law, it's not like snap a finger and they're sued the pants off and away you go. Like I assume this is going to be drawn out for a long time. Yeah, um, the municipal board will take thirty days just to get to hearing, and then at that point in time, if I win, which I will, um, because I'm I'm that well prepared. Um, then I can actually go after both the RM and the province for costs and costs, anything that has delayed us, anything that's a reasonable cost that has created uh, unnecessary delay for the builder. I'm now going to go after that and I'm going to get our costs back for my homeowners, for myself, and we're going to get that money. But you know where we have to draw that money from? We have to draw it from taxpayers. So it's going to come out of the rate payers from R.M. McGimley, and it's going to come out of rate pairs for the province of Manitoba. Now, I have the second claim for the, like going back to the original one for the, the, the province of Manitoba. And that one is actually just headed for discovery in January. So that has been 2019, 2020, 2021, 2022. So it's going to be three plus years by the time I even get from the point of filing to the point of discovery. And then we'll start looking at that and maybe we'll see something um, come out of that. But again, when I win, because I'm not losing, I am so well prepared that my lawyers have said to me, when they look at everything I put together, timelines, all the documentation, because I keep everything. I, I don't start anything unless I'm, I'm 
unless I know that I can go to court for it after the fact. So when I win, that dollar figure will come out of the rate payers in Manitoba as well. And this happens on an ongoing basis. So, I mean, am I going to win? Uh, hopefully I, I, I keep my shorts long enough to, to win because in Manitoba, if you don't have the funds to litigate, there is a law in the books that came in about 10, 12 years ago that says is that you have to post security in order to litigate unless you can fight against it and show that you have the means to do it and things like that. And I've actually had so uh, just to hold you, so just to hold you there court. for a second. What you're saying is only the rich can fight. I, I, am I am I putting that in the right way? You got it. You got it. That's how Manitoba law is now. Is that unless you have means, you're up. You're the little guy. Yeah, nobody and cares. Can't fight. Yeah, we don't care about you. So, so when they're drawing it out, Jocelyn, as much as they are, they're seeing what you're worth. Well, what they're seeing, what, what I'm worth, but they're seeing, can they, the idea is that can we bleed her yeah. enough? Dry. Can we bleed her dry so that she can't litigate? Well, guess what, guys? I'm smarter than you are. And <laughs> I got some lawyers that are so amazing. I mean, I... I, I look at my lawyers and I look at their competency and I look at what they've done with me and, and how we're able to communicate back and forth. And all I have to say is that they're top notch. They are so good at what they do. And they encourage me to continue to do all the, the background and the prep and everything that in order to keep my costs down and to make it easier on them. But I mean, my lawyers are stoked. They're like, oh, we can't wait. This is going to be fucking awesome let's go <laughs> and so every time i have a opposing counsel say to me well jocelyn you know this is this is gonna be long and this can be difficult and i'm like let's go buddy i'm ready i'm ready you want to go you can go to war with me you've been you've been uh it's you're kind of um you know uh almost like a, the, the, I don't know why Muhammad Ali comes to mind but you, you know you kind of been training for this for a long time it's like all right let's get in the ring let's 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 start smacking each other around so I can you know cuz right now you're just you're not even letting me step in the ring and I've been like at night do all you do is read like you know uh, I I applaud you because I know myself along with a ton of other people see like the government documents and you start reading your eyes just over the, the for the listener Jocelyn sent me um, uh, an email with uh, two documents. I forget how long the one was. Maybe eight pages. Uh, it wasn't that long. And halfway through, I had to take a break because I'm just like, this hurts my head. And I don't know what it is about. And it wasn't even bad. I was just like, this is just so frustrating just reading it. I'm like, this is insane. And yet, yeah. there's certain people such as yourself. You know, I, I always think of Peter McCullough when I, whenever I have him on where he can just rattle off like 18 studies. I'm like, what does that guy do for fun? Just read? And I go, Jocelyn, what do you do for fun? You just, you just, you grab the textbook and you're like, well, fine, we're going to, we're going to argue this. I'm just going to read it. Like, is that the way you're wired? Yep. I, I, well, the, I have a, my secret weapon is that I have a photographic memory, but it's not just a photographic memory is that if I read, um, I understand it. So I, I retain the I retain the understanding of what I've just read and and I've been doing this for for years and years and years so 
as I keep adding to my collection in here, um, I'm able to put things together and I'm able to, to kind of see things three-dimensionally and, and I'm able to figure out where I need to get to. Like, so I can see three, four, five, six, seven steps down the road and what my roadblocks are. So six months out, I'm like, this roadblock is coming up and I know that this is where they're going to go. So I need to, I need to do this now to, to get around mm -hmm. that. So that's literally my job. So if I'm not on the job site running a machine or helping the guys build, then I am in here and I'm doing this and I research constantly. I sleep for about three and a half hours a night. Um, if I sleep and then I three and a half hours are uh, dumb question. You know, I'm going to get it off topic, but I, I, you know, and go on here for closing on an hour. I think people understand, but so I'm just going to throw you a curveball here. Three and a half hours of sleep. Don't you worry about, uh, you know, and I'm going to have listeners text me because I'm going to have somebody who's like, oh, that's, that's exactly what I do. But you know, like, um, there's a ton of, ton of different people talking on different podcasts, doctors, etc., about the importance of sleep. You yeah. don't need more than three and a half? Oh, no, I need way more. I, I <laughs> Trust me, I, I, I would love to sleep for seven hours, or I would love to, but my brain gets so, so wound up. overwound up that in two o'clock in the morning, and people sometimes, if they follow me on Twitter, Jocelyn be up at three o'clock in the morning because I can't sleep, and all of a sudden I'm scrolling through it, I'm like blasting something off. Um, so yeah, so my, I, because I've been fighting for five or six years, um, my brain doesn't shut down. So all I do is research to fight and I'm hoping the fight will stop soon because I have gray hair <laughs> and I'd like to sleep. Um, I'd, I'd really like to, to sleep and be able to just enjoy life and not have to be fighting the way I do. But these types of fights if I'm experiencing them and I'm just one builder, yeah. um, other builders are telling me is that they're seeing the same things. And so when I was talking to, um, I was talking to somebody from Ducks Unlimited uh, who does work across multiple provinces and they've recently done in, in um, Alberta. And they said, is that Alberta actually does this right. They actually look at, all of the, the different, uh, say you've got a development and you've got what they consider um, d uh, wetlands or or uh, lands that would be prior prioritized, they actually go through and they said, okay, this is the area we want to develop. Let's put the highest priority on the pieces of that development that we want to see maintained in some way. And let's focus on what we're going to do with our priority areas. And then you guys do what you need to do to actually develop. And let's let's come up with a way to be able to mesh um, those two priorities together. And they will give the builder um, in exact terms of reference as to how they do it and, and work with them to get to that end point. So again, another example, Alberta doing it right. Um, Ontario. I think they're at that point now where they've realized is that they're in such a housing crunch that they need to start doing it right as well. In Manitoba, we do not have the leadership in our, and I don't care which party you're looking at. There, there's no leadership um, in this box here in Manitoba that will take us 
from point A to point B. Like if we don't have a Danielle Smith here in Manitoba, um, mm. I don't know what the solution is, is because there's simply not anybody here that has the ability to take all of that vision and be able to, to streamline it in, into something to make our province work better. Manitoba shouldn't be on the borderline of being a have not province. Like we're have, have not, we shouldn't be here. We shouldn't be as far behind in terms of engineering, building all these other things that we are. We're really in a mess, but we're in a mess because our, our provincial government, the entrenched civil service, they're obviously not doing their job and they're understaffed in terms of quality. I'm not talking manpower because I'm sure we are so overburdened in terms of how much staff we have. It is the um, the quality of the staff. We don't have the quality of the staff anymore. And uh, there's a I read an article by somebody that just retired from Environment, Climate, and Parks. He was there for 24 years. His name is John Arthur, and he has l recently become a consultant for landowners that want to fight the department. And because he saw that decline. Uh, in quality and so he's somebody that I'm going to be reaching out to next to say hey you know what is my what is my next step other than suing the government um, going public is 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 probably the best thing I could do because I need to make people understand is that this is not about rich developers um, I fund my building through a line of credit secured by my home <laughs> I am not a rich developer um, we work for our money. We pay for everything in cash. Um, that's how we do business. And so we're not, we're not, we, we are hardworking. If we need to get something, we, we work twice as hard in order to, to achieve the end. So this is not about somebody with um, unlimited means because by no means do we have that. Um, so I don't know how we do this other than making getting Manitobans to the point where they have the education and they have the knowledge to say, provincial government, you need to be accountable. And all these provincial parties, they all have in their party constitution, because I just read the provincial party constitution since I'm a paid member. And the first page, accountability, transparency, um, is listed on the very front page. And I'm like, where does that exist? You know, they're just words, Jocelyn. They're just words, right? Like people need to carry that out and hold, you know, and hold each other accountable to those, you know, those values. Others are just words on a piece of paper. And and that's exactly it. So, so if we bring in the national strategy, when I talked to my MP James Bazan, and he said, "Is that you know." This is what Pierre would do if he were to come in and everything like that. And I'm like, that's great. And I applaud that. I said, but as my MP, what can you do for me now as your constituent? And I, I get the sense that a member of parliament or an MLA, they, I don't know what they actually do for us. I mean, if I had an MLA like Danielle Smith, I know that, I know shit's going to get done. But uh, for the rest of the MLAs and the rest of our MPs, what 
what can they what do they actually do for us who's actually making the decisions and the fact that my mla who is also the minister of agriculture hasn't been able to do anything for his constituent in terms of advocacy what does that mean about accountability at the top end like is the does my you know does jeff warden is this like that what do i want to call it like the little napoleon syndrome it, it does that make sense is, is that is he is so upset that that i would have challenged his his you know his his rule um in the riding is he so upset that he, therefore he's never going to allow me to succeed is it a personal attack um is he using the office of as a minister to to carry out a personal attack i don't know i can't i haven't got to a point where i've got enough evidence but i'll find it so if it's there i'm gonna find it so but the pattern i mean you're dealing with people there. right pattern is there you're dealing with people in a place of power yep and if so, if, if if they feel you know All of so, us are capable. All of us are capable of pretty terrible things, Jocelyn. And I, I, you're just dealing with people, and and then on top of that, uh, government that is obviously not operating the proper way. Or I don't even know if that's the right way to put it, because you know it, it just feels like it's being used against you. Yeah, I, I mean, so for the average person, so if you're you're a constituent anywhere in any place, and you have something that needs to be addressed, my experience shows me that you can that there are all the checks and balances that should exist within our system of government are broken, or can be easily broken can easily be broken. And so it's either you're going to follow through on the process because you are ethical and you're going to you're going to follow through because that's that's what's inside of you to follow through and do your job as an MLA or you're not and my whole situation in terms of this this is um it's a technical issue i mean if it well it, it's something that should have been solved as a technical um situation it could have been solved simply by bringing out engineer from the province an engineer from my end maybe two engineers myself deputy minister maybe the the director for the drainage section at climate and parks all of us get together on the job site we look at the situation we look at the aerial photographs together we look at the soil samples together and we're like okay this is a really easy way to solve this. That seems very reasonable. And, and I asked for it. I've asked for that exact same scenario multiple times in writing. So where I say, hey, as per my rights, um, is somebody in this process, you need to do this. And there is timelines attached to this. So when I asked municipal relations about, you know, adhering to the timelines, and she said, uh, from from municipal relations said is that you know those timelines are kind of like they're for you guys but in terms of of government no we, no dearie we don't have to follow your timelines we don't have to follow the legislation 
we don't have to follow red tape reduction commissions. You know, yes, we know Bill 37 amendments say this, but, you know, we'll do it in our own time. And, and so I've actually specifically asked, can you give me a timeline? And they're like, nope, no timeline. So I said to them, I said, okay, and this is what I said last week. I said, based on all the above, it's it's not the engineering, it's not the, the wetlands, it's not, you know, any of this. I said, clearly, this looks to me like this is based on personal attack or um, whistleblower retaliation. And I said, if I'm wrong, you're going to respond back to me and we're going to, you're going to give me some ideas of how we come together to resolve the issue at the lowest possible level and hammer this out. Um, but if it's whistleblower retaliation, I said, I'm either going to get A, a non-response, or B, you're going to give me a response at 4.24 p.m. on a Friday afternoon when I have no ability to be able to deal with it for yet another week. And true to form, this request to be able to resolve at the lowest possible level was ignored ignored by climate and parks by the minister, ignored by uh, David Hayes, the, um, the, the, the director for the drainage section, ignored by the senior resource officer, um, and ignored by everybody else. So I sent it out to my MLA again. I said, hey, you realize, I said, is that Jocelyn is escalating. Jocelyn is escalating the situation. And I said, this is going to look bad. This is going to look bad for everybody involved because it's going to make the government look incompetent. I would much rather not get to that point and I'd much rather just deal with this reasonably. And, you know, the response I got was, you know, my MLA is aware of it. He is trying to solve it. He is trying to find out uh, if this is going to be resolved and it's going to get looked at. And um, in the meantime, nothing. And so I, I, I put together all my homeowners and I've said, hey, you know, so one of them is a disabled vet um, the, and recently retired from the province of Manitoba uh, as an employee. So he knows the shit that I'm going through. Uh, another one is, uh, again, um, just retired. He, he was in an accident. He is on disability payments and he's waiting for his house um, as well because he needs a specific type of layout for his mobility. And uh, the other four, they're all over 60. All over 60. Um, so all six. They are all people that came from professional backgrounds or from the government or, or some type of situation like that and who would have normally believed that our government operated on a fair level. My homeowners have been my advocates. They have gone and they, so not just me making phone calls, they are calling all the provincial departments. They are calling the MLAs. They are going to the Association of Manitoba Municipalities. They are going to the RM of Gimli. They are going to the municipal board. They are going to the, the drainage sections for environment, climate and parks. They have gone to the minister for climate and parks. Guess what? Every single one of their phone calls, their emails have been ignored. And what they say is that we're, our families are being impacted and climate and parks, their response was, we don't care. 
We just don't care. We don't care that you don't have your house. So where do you, th- where do you think we're heading then, Jocelyn? You know, I, I, in my brain, I go like, I wonder if this is just a, a you know, like they, they talk about, um, you know, the old adage of, of uh, strong men create weak times, weak times create strong men, blah, 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 whatever. I'm butchering it, but you get the point. I'm like listening and, you know, I just go back to like six years ago. I used to ask like, why, why don't the top business people go into politics or the top athletes or the top whatever, right? Where they're just like, you know, because I'd heard uh, probably about seven years ago, I said, what's what's wrong with politics? And one of the things that always stuck in my mind is a lack of vision at the at the very top. Yep. And, uh, and so I'd ask, well, why don't people go into it? And people are like, oh, they don't pay enough. They don't want to And I, my brain always went, well, eventually, though, you reap what you sow. So eventually you have a point you're at, a business owner who wants to go make, you know, an awesome project, but there's going to be money involved, right? And you're going to make money off of building this thing that the people want and everything else. But at the point, the the government that has ballooned will not allow it, even if you have everything documented and everything else. So is the next logical step is a whole bunch of people get involved in politics to pull back some of the red tape and everything else so that business owners can go out and actually do what they're supposed to do. And then eventually you fall back into the cycle. Or is it something worse where, you know, a place like Climate and Parks has been given an exceptional amount of power to just be like, no. And this is something that needs to really be addressed it so does. That we don't we don't get into and I, I don't I don't know how to do like who who addresses it is it the is it the courts because the courts you know haven't uh, at times given me a whole lot of uh, faith in in you know like in anything at this point right like I mean at this point it just feels like unless you can get public opinion on your side where the people are like Jocelyn is in right climbing in parks you need to back off or whatever. Uh, that's part of it. That's part of it. But I think the the other people uh, you have to do um, kind of like uh, what I've done is that my my attitude was is that in July when I knew that I was right and I knew that that I needed to get houses built for three of my uh, three of my clients in particular and I needed to get far enough along so that I could manage this come winter if they did delay me. Um, I actually asked the questions. I actually asked the questions legally. Uh, what happens if I go ahead and I start building in advance? And uh, I was told the same thing as that, you know what? Don't know. Um, but they did say is that if you were going to start building in advance, um, do it right. Get it engineered. Get it inspected via your engineering. Get it signed off by a professional engineer certified in the province of Manitoba. Dot your I's, cross your T's. And then... Let her fly. So I did. I, I actually started three homes. Um, I poured foundations for three homes. I had them scanned to verify. I had them inspected. I had them sir- signed off and everything else. And then the uh, the the RM at the time was like, "Holy, you did what?" I'm like, "You heard me. You heard me. You see, I did it. Now do something about it." I pushed the envelope, I pushed the button, and I forced it. So now, because I had an approved subdivision, I don't connect to municipal infrastructure. It was engineered um, to meet and exceed uh, National Building Code uh, and building standards here in the province of Manitoba. 
I said to the all of the planning districts, and I said as such, why do you exist? Do you exist to make sure the building codes are met and that we pay our permit fees? Or do you exist to be a roadblock? You tell me. You tell me what your job is, because I know what your job is. And so I challenged. I challenged them. And so now I'm at the point now where <laughs> in less than 30 days, I will have a permit to build nine and to continue building the first three that I started included within the nine. Why? Because I don't connect to the municipal infrastructure. It is engineered. I have exceeded the building code. Uh, I have met or exceeded the standards that are required of a builder. So how I fight this is by telling the institutions is that do your job do your job otherwise people like me are going to say is that you no longer are functioning your nes non-effective strength if you want a military term in it you don't matter anymore and we'll continue onward i think that is probably how people say is how does how does Jocelyn do a Freedom Convoy protest? I do that on the ground by doing what I am doing. I take that protest and I put that into my business and I do it right. And I challenge, I challenge them. And I did, and I'm still challenging them. They want to go toe to toe and they want to try and, and, and stop us from building better come with a lot of bloody firepower because I'm doing it right. And if you aren't doing your job and I can prove that you're not doing your job, then you're going to be in trouble. So what I'm, I'm my message is to, to other homeowners, private owners, um, get educated, know what the, yeah. what, what everything is in, in your area and figure out how you can challenge. How can you challenge the status quo? How can you challenge it legally? And how can you challenge it in a way that pushes buttons and, and you're able to push it further down the road? Because that's what I had to do. I had to, I had to push, I had to push and push and push and push in a situation where I never should. I should just simply say, hey, I need a permit. Here's the engineering, here's the drawings, here's your $2,000 and um, start building. Come and inspect. Um, but that's not the way it is right now. And and it's so it's, we're seeing is that the system is broken so that the only way we fix the, the, the system is that if, we as builders, as, as homeowners, as private landowners, as constituents, we need to do it right and push ahead, push through um, the obstacles and, and force, um, force them to deal with us. Well, I think, you said, I, I think you said it best by get educated, right? You know, I joke about not being able to do an eight-page document, but you need to read those things. Uh, you need to understand what's going on, what the rules are. Uh, and uh, I think as a society, I, I hope, uh, maybe I'm a little optimistic on this, but I feel like there's a ton of people doing that now, right? There's there's more and more and more and more. And then as an industry, you're right, you got to hold them, you know, you got you to gotta hold them to the fire, not just Jocelyn, but the entire industry, because it affects all of you. You yeah. know, 
I, th- I think that's um, that can be extra- well, universal. It can go across the board to um, not just what you're dealing with, but uh, pretty much uh you know, any industry, any, uh, you know, when it comes to different, uh, I got uh, our MLA coming on in January. I'm, I'm waiting to hear the, uh, the date. And I'm actually, now that I think about it, I, that's probably as soon as I get off here, I got to make that call again, because I'm pretty sure they have a date for me. And I'm excited about it, because you just brought up things that I've been thinking about. I'm like, well, what do you like, it sounds really, really dumb. You know, I mean, and I say that a lot on here, right? I'm, I am dumb. Uh, when it comes to this, but I like to learn. It's like, so what do you do? Like, you know, like you're supposed to represent not only me, but thousands of other people. Like what, what is, what is your day job? Like, and how do you get things done? How do you, how do you, you don't speak to the layman because at the end of the day, you know, there's a whole bunch of people that want to get society moving in the right direction. But that, that, that goes across a lot of different, that isn't just Sean, that's, that's a, a lot of different spectrums, a lot of different worldview, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but I hear story, Jocelyn, and I hope the audience, uh, you know, uh, well, I, I know they, I have enjoyed this, so I, I highly doubt they haven't. I, I, I wish you the best of luck. And I mean, obviously we'll stay in touch because I'm curious to see where it goes. Um, but before I let you out of here, we should, uh, we should do the crude master final question. It's funny. I've, I've had you on, it, it was, if people are listening and going, man, I wonder what she's talking about with the whistleblower and the water wells and all that. It's episode 267. I, I chuckle about that. It feels like a year ago, but it was May 18th. This episode is going to be 357, if you can believe that. Uh, wow. I've been, I may have been pumping a few out, a, a few episodes out. Anyways, um, if you want to hear more of Jocelyn's story on water wells, go back to episode 267. Now, in saying all that, the final question I'm going to give you is, um, I, I'm, I'm, you know, as we close in on Christmas, I'm, I'm kind of optimistic. I'm, I'm hopeful. I want to, so I'm curious, what is Jocelyn optimistic for in 2023? I think, believe it or not, um, I think that the, the recent um, new management at Twitter, mm. I think that that is going to create a, um, a whole new conversation. I think that new conversations are coming. I think that people are going to realize is that I can actually say what I feel, um, and and do it in, in a in a, a reasonable civil way, and and have those conversations be had. I think that 2023. I think 2023 is about us finally all getting together and having a conversation and you know what i i think is that 2023 people got to get lit they they have to get lit right up get lit get get into the conversation start talking don't be afraid to speak out i mean because it is terrifying it is terrifying putting it out on there because i'm public right i my name is public my business is public and i i say some harsh things I, but I, it comes from a place of where of um, of trying to get people thinking about different things. So I am really hoping that two thousand this Christmas and two thousand twenty three is going to be the year of the whistleblower. I really hope that those conversations are going to be had. I want to see, I want to see all those barriers broken down. I want to, I really want to see it get lit right up. That, that's what I'm looking forward to. Well, you know, it's funny. At the end of every podcast, I should probably bring up what uh, Elon Musk has, has has tweeted in the last little bit. So this will date 
because by the time this airs on Wednesday, it'll be a, a, a day or so. So here, here's here's the, the latest from Elon Musk, okay? So obviously they've been doing Twitter files. They're on part four. It's all about uh, deplatforming the president about Donald Trump, right? So you should stay uh, in the clear. In the clear, You should dig into that because uh, what he's doing there is really, really interesting. Um, but uh, his... <laughs> It's one from, uh, I think yesterday, it was my pronouns are prosecute Fauci. And geez Louise did that uh, absolutely blow up on Twitter. And you just think, like, I mean, what was it? Uh, we're both people who, who are on Twitter. I, I was saying to uh, Tuesday the other day, like, um, in the middle of COVID, I was losing people. And now everybody knows me on probably. I'm not this outspoken guy. I, I pretty much remain in the back scenes. I threw out a couple tweets here or there, whatever. But I mean... I was losing people. I was losing followers in the middle of Twitter. As soon as uh, Elon Musk uh, uh, hopped on, it's been the opposite way. And I'm not sitting here blowing smoke. I, uh, you know, if I get ten followers in a day, that's that's pretty good. But it's been ten a day now for like uh, twenty days or whatever it's been. And I'm like, oh wow, this is this is new because um, you know when they talk about shadow band, like nothing of mine got anything anywhere. And we all know at, at this point, I I joke. Well, I'm removed off YouTube. I mean, pretty much everybody who says anything on YouTube is getting removed or penalized. Yeah. Um, and Eric Payne, the uh, pediatrician from Calgary, he was on and he was talking about AHS and how they transcripted the entire podcast me and him had. So his initial call with AHS was about uh, the Sean Newman podcast and him and my transcript. I'm like, oh boy. Like, I am on some lists, uh, Jossum, which is um, rather unique to think about, isn't it? But Twitter is a fun little space since Elon took over because... Uh, Everybody who's, I mean, don't get me wrong, there's some crazy stuff being said on there, but it's nice to see things coming through instead of having to really uh, pry open the door to try and even find them. And it's crazy how many people got suspended or removed uh, yeah. across the board. Like, it is insane. There was Before, there was, it was like the, the whole message on Twitter, it was pretty homogenous, right? It was homogenous on the left, it was homogenous on the right, and there was, it, there was, uh, and, and that was it. And there was none of those interesting stories that happened in between that happened in what I call the gray zone. And uh, none of that, that stuff was, was going on and none of it was happening. And now it actually is. And really good stories are happening. And I absolutely love what he did with cracking down on child sexual exploitation, because I think that ties into all the other stuff that we're seeing with the... Um, Yes. just all those other conversations um so i think it's a really good thing i think that we're going to start getting back to um i think how the bulk of us actually really do think uh how we really do talk how we do feel how we feel about wouldn't our kids that how be, we feel about wouldn't our that be nice wouldn't that be just i've been i've been saying for for the last you're for sure. It's we've lost a tool, and that's how to communicate with one another about things we disagree on. And certainly, Twitter at times is not the appropriate uh, place for yeah. certain things. But allowing both sides to talk about things when they come up is a start. And uh, and we got to find we all got to find that skill again because uh, that's been lost for the last. It might even been before COVID. It, it might have been. It might have been well before that. We well just before. weren't paying it. Weren't paying attention anymore. But yeah. it, that's a tough skill. Yeah. So his uh, the the last one I read of him uh, just in the last little while was about um, woke. He said, <laughs> "We don't have we don't we we don't we, we don't get through this unless we unless we we get rid of being woke. The idea of, of this woke 
um, life, this is woke uh, conversations that needs to end if we're going to have a better world. We must get past that. And, and that is so true because in this woke um, narrative, real journalism dies. Um, whistleblowers have no voice because they're outside the narrative. Um, people that need to bring real stories forward don't get um, the exposure that they need. And it's only right now that it's the big media platforms are realizing is that, holy crap, maybe Julian Assange shouldn't be locked up. Maybe this is bad for business for us. Um the, so, yeah, the so, tweet you're talking about, Elon, was the woke mind virus is either defeated or nothing else matters. That's that's what he tweeted. It's at 367,000 likes and 60,000 retweets. Like, I mean, give the guy credit when it comes to buying a platform and making it relevant all over again. I know we all found each other on there, but for a time, it was, it was not really a fun place to go at all. It was just, it was, ugh. And now Twitter has become, you know, me and me and twos joke about all the time now, like it might become our platform because it, it, you know, like YouTube is an amazing platform, loved YouTube. You can find anything there and it's so user friendly and everything else. But you mentioned the word, what, COVID right now, vaccine, like it's a couple of those. And there's more. Uh, listen, I, I always bring up COVID because I know it uh, inside and out, but you bring up those ones, done, penalized. Yep. Hell, you might even bring up Sean Newman and you might be penalized at this point. Like, it's just gotten, it's on both sides. It isn't just targeting one. It's like, it's an algorithm. It hears a yep. word, boom, penalized. And then and, you do it too many times, you're gone. You don't get no say in it. It's like, this is wild. And Twitter at least has come back to yes. allowing words to be said again. Wow, what a crazy thought. Like, I never thought that I would end up using Rumble more than I use I know. YouTube. I hate Rumble, and I've come all the way around on it, Jocelyn. I've actually started. I've started to the listener. If you want to watch the videos, obviously it's on Spotify, uh, but it's now back on Rumble. It airs on Twitter. It airs on Facebook for the time. We'll see how long that lasts. And uh, I hated Rumble because you'd type in my name and you couldn't find me. I'm like, how can I, you have a platform where I put up videos with my name on it? You type in the search engine, Sean Newman Podcast, and nothing comes up. I'm like. This isn't for me. And I'm like so many others. I've come yeah. all the way back around on it. Because you can't say things on YouTube that, that, that you can on, on Rumble. And, Correct. And the, with the, the Rumble ramps, rants and what happens in the chats and things like that. I, I stayed away from Rumble until I started watching Redacted. Yeah. And when I started watching Redacted... Then I went over to Rumble to watch them on Redacted. And they're actually the only ones that I, I, I watch Viva on Rumble and I watch um, Redacted on, on, on Rumble. And I'm like, okay, now, I, you know, this, this is, this is a, a little bit of where I, I can actually get out there and that. But I swear to, I swear to God, I am, I am seriously considering doing like a daily Sundance rant where I can just get up. And do lose it on Twitter. My mind. Do it on Twitter. I, and and I, I might I might do that simply because of all well, the things that I, I experience on a daily basis. 
I think, uh, you know, the lady that comes to mind right now is Nadine Ness from Grassroots United. I think I'm saying that right. Sorry, Nadine, if I got that wrong. Anyways, Saskatchewan. She hosts, uh, and there's going to be people who are like, ah, I don't go on Twitter, and that, that's fair. But she hosts um, Twitter spaces, uh, I think it's about once a week, and they get a ton of traction. Now, she's got some wicked guests that go on it, and they talk openly about, uh, you know, different things. I think... Um, um, right now, actually this week, I want to say is Alberta Sovereignty Act and the Saskatchewan one, whatever they're calling theirs. Um, but regardless, uh, and she's got a, a bunch of different people. And I, I go, um, if you have a Twitter following, which you do, uh, seeing a Twitter rant on there or what have you, uh, honestly, an update, I think would go over e- extremely well. Uh, that's my own thoughts, right? Because that's where I follow you. That's how I know what you're doing. And I remember um, listeners when I was uh, suggesting when I, you know, when I did the the nine episodes with Western Standard, I was like, well, do you want me to air it on the podcast? I just want me to put it on, you know, like, and I got a resounding we follow you on the podcast. We don't follow you on social media. We don't follow you somewhere else. Everything you do, put on here. I'm yeah. like, oh, okay. So now that's why I'm at episode uh, 357 with you in less than a year from 267, right? Is yeah. because everything I do lands on the podcast. So people, if nothing else, know where to go. And I think for, you know, long rant over, but I think for Jocelyn, if you're going to do something, uh, Twitter would be lovely. I know everybody uh, wants uh, different platforms and everything else to expand their audience, but like Twitter is where I follow you. So my vote, you do it on Twitter. And I might do that. I might just be a, a short, a short video. Of, uh, what is, what is, the, what is the rant, uh, and open it up to what's going on there? Because business owners in Manitoba, they're all going through the same thing. And what I, what I say on a rant. Like my guys, like my guys come in and they hear me on the phone or they hear something going on or they see something going on with me. They're like, man, I love my boss. She is just totally crazy. She is awesome. And so they they hear me and I'm like, I there are some times where I get so, um, <laughs> I am so vocal, Sean. We were in my you, you get vocal? No, no. If you heard some of the things that I have said and where my guys are like, what did you just say? I'm like, I don't even know where that came from. That came from like, that was like an out of body experience. Somebody just took over my body and I'm just like, boom. And everybody are like, holy, that is like, that is crazy. Uh, But it's effective. And I just, I say, I tend to, when I'm going to go onto a rant, I tend to say exactly what I'm feeling exactly how i say it in in real life whether i'm on the phone how about or, how about, or uh, how about the, it could be called berziak blows up <laughs> hey <laughs> can you imagine oh man that would be like my my monday my monday was one of those and my my lawyers had said to me he said he said you know what he goes i have in in 28 years he goes i have had five clients he goes that I would put you into a category of being this well prepared, this wild, this yeah. this this well, this in this class. And he goes, you're by far. He goes, they're the most interesting. Well, uh, um, Quick Dick, uh, you know who QDM is. Yeah. Uh, he does it with humor, but I he always amazes me amazes me at how well versed he is. Right, because it isn't just that it's humorous; 
it's smart. Like he's very, very smart on what he does. And you think about Quick Dick. He has used social media to rise to a level that I don't think anyone th- thought a Snapchat handle would go to there. And is now is he worldwide? No, he's giant in Saskatchewan, and certainly he's growing. But like he has found a way to use humor cleverly, smartly, to get really ridiculous things in politics, the average person to listen to. And yeah. I'm not saying you could be quick dick because I mean, uh, uh, quick dick do- has a way about him. But at the same time, I'm like, if you can add something to the conversation because you are so well versed that a guy like me can pop on and listen to it, um, that makes it a lot of sense, honestly, I, I, because there's just, there's very, you know, I, I go back to Peter McCullough. He he can find a way to analyze 500 paper and for a guy like me to listen to and go, oh, oh, that makes sense. And, you know, um, there's probably a few others that I'm forgetting right now. I, I don't know why I can't think of it, but anytime you have somebody who can go in, disseminate information from a way too much, because so many of us just don't have time, don't can't focus that long. I don't know the answer. There's a lot of answers there. And you can add to it all the power to you, Jocelyn. That's my thoughts. I'll be well, looking forward to the first uh, Berziak blows up uh, on, on a Twitter space or a Twitter video or what what have you. Either way, I've really enjoyed this, uh, Jocelyn. I wish you best of luck. And I know at some point, I keep saying this to everybody, our paths will cross again. And who knows, maybe today I'll be... I've been pondering uh, for 2023... I want to do an SMP road trip. I haven't done one since 2020. 2020, I went out to Vancouver, interviewed uh, Jim Pattison and, and Judy Reed and a whole bunch of cast characters. And um, I've been contemplating on where I go for the next SMP road trip. And uh, I know whichever way, if I do stay in Canada, whichever way I go will be a ton of fun because there's a ton of people that you've, I've met now across the podcast waves. They'd be cool to meet in person. And if I ever get your way, uh, I'm certainly going to buy you a, a beverage or two. Oh yeah, it, it, here is that. Like I said, uh, where we have Sundance and the, it's kind of like a great big, huge, uh, sprawling. I don't know. It's not a compound. It's more like a great big sprawling type ranch type property here that we have, and it's 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 gonna be gonna be crazy. But yeah, you'd you would have some exciting times here. You never know what you're gonna get faced with. I mean, you know, maybe well, I'm throwing fun. something that day. It's funny, uh, you know, if I go to Manitoba, I got yourself, I got, uh, I think Shadow Davis is out there, you got um, uh, Wayne Peters is out there. I- I've already been bugging already up north to take me hiking next year, right, like here in Alberta. And I'm like, man, I, the 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 cast of characters this podcast has seen is, is, uh, is quite eclectic. I think eclectic is maybe the right word. Either yeah. way... Um, yeah, I get your way. Uh, we're certainly going to sit down and have a conversation. It'll be a lot of fun. Either way, thanks for giving I, me some time love, this morning. Yeah, well, I, 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 I mean, would love it to sit down with like Shadow Davis and a few of the all the Manitoba ones all together because I think he's really cool. Like I've, I've spoken to him and and he has. Have you have you done Shadow's show? Uh, once, uh, once. Yeah, I did once when my son was. Uh, um, not allowed to go to his electrical trade training at Red River because of the mandates. Tax pass. Yeah. Mandates. Yeah. Yeah. So I fought it. Um, I fought it and I got him into his, his, his training for that year for his level for that year. Um, he had to do it all online, but he wasn't going to have any type of a, of, of a vax for him because he can't. And so I fought it and I was, 
I was vicious. <laughs> I was vicious and he wasn't going. He wasn't, but I said, you're not going to deny my kid. You're not going to deny him the ability to be able to go to school. You want to take on mama bear? You, you know, just there, got it. There must be people in, in and around your neck of the woods that when they, when they see you walking in, they're running for the high hills. Nope. I'm out for a vacation. I'm sick today. Like the list of uh, reasons why they don't want to meet with you must be um, endless. My boy said that when they were going to school, their teachers were terrified of me. So my, my kids were, before I took them into homeschooling, they said, I ate in, in grade seven. He said to me, he goes, mom, he goes, please don't make my teacher cry today. Mom, why, please. Why, Johnson, did you homeschool? What, what, what was the final straw for you? Um, what was the final straw? Yeah. I was doing the, the Métis, um, my boys, like I'm a Métis, so I was doing the applications for the boys. And I had taught my boys both how to read and write, um, even before they entered school. And then I had asked the boys, I said, okay, guys, come over here and sign your applications wait for the your Métis. And my boys said to me, and Aiden said to me, he goes, mom, he goes, I can't remember how to write my name. And he went to print it. And I'm like, what? I said, you, you can't write your name. And I looked at, at that and I was already on the road with construction and everything else and had my own business. And my other son, same thing. Um, he could write, but his penmanship was so terrible. And I, my boys at, you know, kindergarten grade one, grade two had beautiful penmanship. And then they told me is that they don't teach it anymore. And I was like, you're kidding me. And I pulled them out of school. I said, if you cannot teach my child the basics, you can't teach my child the basics. I'm going to teach my child the basements. So on the job site, they came to it came with me. Uh, high school apprenticeship program. Uh, Connor ended up in uh, engineering at NGAP plus doing trade training. Aiden is working on, on his trade as well. He's been roofing and doing other things with me continuously. Um, both boys are super smart, super well read, love to read. Um, and they can both write their name now. Uh, so that's why I homeschooled. I homeschooled because I was furious i was i just i lost it i, I lost my mind it's funny uh, you know one of the things about uh, growing up you know i went to school married a teacher right and uh i didn't realize how many homeschoolers are out there like i i, I should look up at the stats of how many homeschool in canada but it is a, a ton and somehow this podcast has found a lot of them because uh that's something I didn't realize about you. You know, there's probably a lot I don't realize about you, but you know, um, there's a ton of people that have pulled their kids from the system and don't like uh, a, a bunch about it. And I, I say that uh, lightly because I always go back to my wife's a teacher. My kids are in school, and I think they do a lovely job where she's at and where the kids are at. And I've had zero issues, right? But that is not the case for a lot of people. Um, in this country of ours, there's a lot of people that are very upset and have pulled their kids, and a lot of them obviously through COVID for a lot of the different mandates that came in. Yeah, hmm. that's a you know that's a, that's a that's a huge topic that maybe someday or maybe someday soon I'll have to broach, and I'm sure I'll get some texts about it. But homeschooling seems to be uh, at the top of thought with a lot of parents. Um, 
Yeah. But you know what I would do is that and I've already talked to my son because my son, I have a grandbaby now and I have that granddaughter is on the way in February. Um, and then I have a, a four-year-old and a five-year-old granddaughter as well. And what the kids have talked about doing right now is they're going to hire their own teacher. They are going to do a homeschool pod and they are going to hire a professional teacher and we're going to do it maybe yeah, like a like a one room schoolhouse. There, yes, there there's a couple of those out here that I've heard have been. They've done exactly that, and and that's 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 where we're headed, and that's I think where um, I think that that is gonna come come into play, so that we we can have, and and this way we can pay those teachers really well. Like I mean, if you have ten families yeah. and their kids are in there, you that teacher can have a good salary but also maybe teach um get back to the basics of teaching and really get to enjoy their job again and so i'm already looking at that so my kids are the grandbaby is 17 months old now well we're like okay well we're gonna start doing this homeschool pod i think we're gonna start by the time he's two um two and a half something like that and we'll start we'll start that that early pre-education right away i mean i was reading fluently by the time i was four so i mean why not my well, first book, you're going to laugh at this. My first ooh. book, my dad, on my fourth birthday, my fourth birthday, my dad and my mom got me uh, my first book. I was reading before then, but my first book was Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde at my fourth birthday. Really? I don't, I've never read that book before. I don't even know what he was thinking, but that was my dad. Was it, my, do you recommend that book, Jocelyn? Um, yeah. Yeah, actually, I do. As being one of my first books, um, so I. Do you I've been remember at that age? Do you remember? Like, do you remember reading it and everything else? Everything, everything. My my teachers thought that I was the strangest child because of what I was reading and how soon you were I was carrying Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde into the classroom. <laughs> that's that's probably why. I think they that became my persona. It, is that I hear him this 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 quiet meek person on the on the appearance and and studious and everything else and then all of a sudden that switch goes and i like this monstrous <laughs> entity so maybe maybe it stayed with me my whole life oh man the things you learn in a conversation jocelyn i have appreciated you giving me some time this morning uh i look forward to like i say when our paths cross again and best of luck uh, and hopefully this, you know, hopefully, uh, this helps, you know, get the word out about some different things and, and, and everything else. But I have, you know, I always appreciate having people on and you're no exception. It's been a, it's been a really enjoyable, uh, well, close to two hours. I mean, it's fun oh, wow. little chat here. Thank you so much, Sean. And I'm going to keep you guys posted and, and I'll keep sending out the emails and showing you where my, my mess is at. And, and hopefully I, I have a really good Christmas present. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, wouldn't that be something? Yeah, for thanks, sure. Thanks again. Okay, no problem, Sean.